Hello everyone, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Everyday Black History. I'd like to welcome you to the start of another week, as it is Monday, and as we blow past the month of July, um, and you know, during the summer months, um, hopefully you had a good weekend, hopefully so far your summer is going by okay, I know it you know, it kind of sucks having to worry about social distances and social distancing and having to wear masks during the heat. And it's not the kind of summer that we usually, you know, envision. But hopefully, somehow, some way, you're, uh, you know, finding a way to enjoy, you know, the summer during these strange times that we're living in. But today on Everyday Black History, we wanted to uh, show some respect and uh, pay homage to a, a couple of brothers that we lost over the weekend. Uh, two civil rights activists who were, um, you know, lions in the civil rights movement, in the civil rights movement, and uh, using nonviolent methods. Um, over the weekend, we lost uh, C.T. Vivian and uh, Congressman John Lewis. And um, you know, as as we mentioned, you know, these are two men who uh, were were huge um, for for civil rights and for fighting for equality for you know us, you know, and and, and being on the front lines and, and actually facing uh, a violence, you know, head on by uh, people who didn't want equality for Black Americans. You know, these two men worked with. Um, other men and women, um, black and white, to work to uh, gain equality in all ways, whether it was through, uh, through for, at the workplace, you know, by, through voting, um, so many different ways they worked to fight for equality for black Americans. And, 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 and in, um, you know, they, they were, they, they were able to see, you know, uh, vast changes from the times that they grew up when, you know, black people had to sit at the back of the bus and where we were segregated to where, you know, uh, now, you know, through, 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 uh, due to the freedom rise that they participated in, um, black and white people were able to sit together um, on the bus and on the train or on any um, location. So we're going to honor them today and just talk a little bit about each of them and about their work and about their lives and, um, you know, how, how uh, important they, they were to black history and black culture. So we're going to start with C.T. Vivian, who was born Cordy Tyndale Vivian, July 30th, 1924. And he was a minister, an author, and he was a friend and lieutenant to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, during the civil rights movement, uh, he was born in Boonville, Missouri, and he migrated with his mother to Illinois, where he um, uh, attended grade school and you know in uh, high school. He graduated from high school in 1942 and attended Western Illinois University in Macomb, Illinois, where he worked as the sports editor for the school newspaper. Now, his first job was as a recreation director for the Carver Community Center in Peoria, Illinois. And while he was there, he participated in his first acts 
of uh, civil rights where he participated in sit-in demonstrations which uh, successfully integrated Barton's cafeteria in 1947. So he had already started his <coughs> excuse me he had already started his civil rights activism you know that early on. Now while he was studying for ministry at the American Baptist College in Nashville, Tennessee in 1959, he met a man by the name of James James Lawson who was teaching um, uh, a nonviolent direct action strategies that was um, derived from Mohandas Gandhi. And um, he was teaching these strategies to the Nashville student movement. And uh, many of his students uh, became future leaders in the civil rights movement, such as Diane Nash, Bernard Lafayette, James Bevel, and John Lewis, as well as many others from American Baptist, Fisk University, and Tennessee State University. They organized a systematic nonviolent sit-in campaign at local lunch counters. Um, on April 19, 1960, over 4,000 demonstrators peacefully walked to Nashville City Hall and C.T. Vivian and Diane Nash were able to discuss the situation with the Nashville mayor, Ben West at the time, and got him, you know, which was a big deal at the time, at the time to publicly, you know, agree um, that racial discrimination was morally wrong and denounce it. Many of those students uh, participated in the Nashville non-student um, movement. They took major leadership roles in the SNTC, which is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and also the SCLC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. These are two uh, organizations that were huge during the civil rights movements and the work that they did, and they did it by uh, through nonviolent means. Now, uh, C.T. Vivian also helped to found the Nashville Christian Leadership Conference and helped to organize sit-ins in Nashville in 1960, as well as the first civil rights march in 1961. He also participated in freedom rides as well. We talked about freedom rides earlier where white and black people rode together, you know, sitting side by side, you know, in you know, integrated fashion. Um, you know, in these rides during this, and they did these rides during the South where racism was the most prevalent. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit more a little later uh, when we talk about John Lewis. But uh, C.T. Vivian participated in those, and he also worked um, alongside uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as the national director of um, the SL, SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Um, he also uh, uh, participated in the Selma Voting Rights Movement, and he conceived and directed an educational program called Vision, which he put, which helped put 702 Alabama students in college with scholarships. Now this program is, lo- is known as Upward Bound, which is a uh, educational program that help underrepresented, you know, communities such as low-income or um, minority communities, as well as just uh, people who fit other um, kind of categories like live in rural areas, they may not have access to certain uh, resources or people who parents didn't go to college. So, you know, Upward Bound uh, help a lot of uh, students, high school students in those categories to get scholarships and grants so that they can go to college. And this was started um, initially as Vision uh, by C.T. Vivian. Um, he, in the 1970s, he moved to Atlanta 
and he founded the Black Action Strategies and Information Center, um, which is a consultancy on multiculturalism and race relations in the workplace and in other contexts. He also co-founded the Center for Democratic Renewal, which was initially known as the National Anti-Klan Network. And that's an organization where black and white people work together in response to white supremacy, uh, white supremacist activity. During the 80s, he, in 1984, he uh, served in uh, Jesse Jackson's presidential campaign um, as the National Deputy, Deputy Director for Clergy. And he also helped to establish and serve on the board of, of Capital City Bank and Trust Company, which is a black-owned bank in Atlanta during the 90s. Uh, he continued throughout his life in the 90s and in, in the 2000s to speak publicly and offer workshops and did so at many conferences around the country and the world, even in, in, including the, the United Nations. Um, he was featured in documentaries um, as, an act, as, an, as the activist and analyst um, in civil rights. And he was, um, you know, on you know many different talk shows. Oprah, Montel Williams, Donahue, uh, talking about his activism and his experiences. Even as uh, as um, recent as 2008, he founded and incorporated the C.T. Vivian Leadership Institute to create a model leadership culture in Atlanta, Georgia. And the C.T. Vivian Leadership Institute conceived, developed, and implemented the Yes We Care campaign. Um, on December 18, 2008. Now, this was four days after the city of Atlanta turned the water off at Morris Brown College, which is an HBCU. And over a period of two and a half months, uh, they mobilized the the Atlanta community to donate in excess of half a million dollars directly to Morris Brown as bridge funding. And this effort helped to save uh, Morris Brown College and allowed the college to negotiate with the city, which ultimately restored the water services to the college. So he helped to, he helped to save and preserve another historically black college that would have, you know, been been uh, defunct if if it wasn't for uh, his and the C.T. Vivian Leadership Institute's involvement. And uh, you know, later on in life, uh, as in 2013, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by by uh, uh, President Barack Obama, and for his work in in, in uh, civil rights and um, after the civil rights movement as well, uh, the citation in the press relief, the press release, excuse me, read as follows: It said, "C.T. Vivian is a distinguished minister, author, and organizer, a leader in the civil rights movement, and friend to Martin Luther King Jr. He participated in freedom rides and sit-ins across our country." Vivian also helped found numerous civil rights organizations, including Vision, the National Anti-Klan Network, and the Center for Democratic Renewal. In 2012, he returned to serve as interim president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Now, unfortunately, he died just the other day, July 17th, in Atlanta, two weeks before what would have been his 96th birthday. So he lived a long life and a long life in service to uh, in service to, you know, helping, you know, um, to fight for equality for black Americans. And, you know, as mentioned, being there and on the front lines and, you know, working with Dr. Martin Luther King and many other activists in civil rights 
and you know seeing it seeing it through so that at least even though we still have a long way to go at least you know we can you know sit anywhere we want on a bus we don't have to go you know to different water fountains and bathrooms that are dirtier you know his work and the work that he did with these his fellow civil rights activists um, really did help get, at least get us to where we are today because during the times when they were growing up it was a lot worse so ct vivian we say rest in power we salute you for your contribution to black history and black culture now, as mentioned, the second person we're going to highlight today is Congressman John Lewis. And a lot of him and C.T. Vivian did a lot of work together, you know, and um, they were involved with the same people. Um, John, Congressman John Lewis, uh, politician, civil rights leader, served in the House of Representatives for Georgia's 5th Congressional District from 1987 until his death. Um, he was one of the big six leaders during the March on Washington in 1963, chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And, you know, he was, his life and his work was even dramatized in that movie Selma that came out a few years ago. Um, so he's a lot more well known than C.T. Vivian because of the fact that his, 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 uh, his fight was actually dramatized and he was in, you know, politics as well. But um, he as well, you know, was a lion in the civil rights movement and um, literally bore the scars of trying to fight for equality. Now, he was born February 21st, 1940 in Troy, Alabama, the third of 10 children. His parents were sharecroppers in uh, Pike County, Alabama. And he said as a young child, he had little interaction with white people. And by the time he was six, he had only seen two white people in his life. But as he grew older, he began to experience racism and segregation when he would go to take trips into town. And he would experience it in places like the public library, you know, in, um, in Alabama. Um, but he had family members who lived in northern cities. And he first got to see how... Uh, segregated Alabama was when he would take trips to visit family in New York and he would see how you know in the north there were integrated schools buses and businesses and it really kind of had an effect on him seeing how segregated Alabama was but he first heard uh, Dr. Martin Luther King on radio when he was 15 and he followed uh, his early work during the Montgomery bus boycott um, that same year he met Rosa Parks when he was 17 and met uh, Martin Luther King when he was 18. And, you know, this had a profound effect on him, you know, as, as being at a young age and meeting these, these two giants in civil rights. Now, when he was, uh, he graduated from the American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville, and he received his bachelor's in religion and philosophy from Fisk University. And while he was a student, he was dedicated to civil rights. He organized sit-ins at segregated lunch counters in Nashville um, and took part in many uh, civil rights activities in the Nashville student movement. And um, he was arrested and jailed many times in the nonviolent movement to desegregate the, the downtown areas of uh, the city of Nashville. He was instrumental in organizing bus boycotts and other nonviolent protests um, in the fight for voter and racial equality in Nashville. 
Um, he uh, engaged in what he called good trouble, necessary trouble to achieve change. And this was something that a phrase that he lived by throughout you know, his, his, his life. Um, he was invited to attend nonviolent, nonviolent workshops by um, James Lawson, um, which is where he met C.T. Vivian and Diane Nash and, um, and so many other activists in the civil rights movement. And uh, there they became dedicated adherents to the discipline and philosophy of nonviolence. And um, we talked about the Freedom Rise that C.T. Vivian participated in, and John uh, Lewis participated in them also. Uh, They both were part of the original 13 Freedom Riders that started in 1961 with seven whites and six blacks. Um, Were determined to ride from Washington, D.C. to New Orleans in an integrated fashion. And as you can imagine, many of the southern states, um, you know, continue to enforce laws prohibiting black and white riders from sitting next to each other in public transportation. So you can imagine when they got to those southern states that they faced a lot of uh, of violence in which they did. Um, These freedom rides were organized by the Fellowship of Reconciliation and the uh, Congress of Racial Equality, which is known as CORE. And it was initiated to pressure the federal government to enforce the Supreme Court decision, um, which was passed in 1960 from a case of Boynton versus Virginia that declared segregated interstate bus travel to be unconstitutional. So the Freedom Rides um, exposed the passivity of the government regarding violence against citizens who were simply acting in accordance with the law. So... um, you know, the, the government didn't do anything to protect, you know, black riders uh, during that time. Um, they, uh, the government had 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 trusted uh, the Alabama police to protect the riders. And, you know, Alabama police were notorious, notoriously racist. And so they did nothing to protect black riders from violence, you know, that, you know, came at them from white riders. And um, the, the Kennedy administration at the time was very passive with um, doing anything about it. And so these freedom rides helped to expose all that. Um, they, uh, John Lewis and many of the other freedom riders were beaten by angry mobs. They were arrested many times and taken to jail. Um, in fact, John Lewis was the first of the freedom riders to be assaulted while in South Carolina and in whites only waiting room, two men attacked him at the age of 21. They injured his face, you know, injured his ribs. And yet and still, you know, after all that, you know, he still continued on, on with the freedom rides that were bound for Mississippi. And, you know, Mississippi is got that, you know, southern hot buttered racism and they, they perfected racism down there in Mississippi. And, um, you know, later on, when reflecting on it, John Lewis said that we were determined not to let any act of violence keep us from our goal. We knew our lives could be threatened, but we had made up our minds not to turn back. You know, and it would be hard for me to, 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 to take that kind of violence and not do anything in retaliation. But during those times, you do something in retaliation and automatically as a black person, you lose. So the nonviolent way worked, you know, and, and it was successful in a sense where you know, it did amount to change um, by integrating these, um, you know, these uh, transportation lines. Um, uh, for many years afterward, uh, during the bus ride, the Freedom Rides, uh, John Lewis would reflect on 
on that time and the amount of violence that he and the 12 other original Freedom Riders endured. And you got to think there were seven white people that were that were a part of these as well. So they as well experienced the same kind of physical violence that the black riders faced just because they were, um, you know, they were a part of, uh, of, of fighting for racial racial equality. And um, uh, they were beaten with baseball bats, chains, pipes, and stones. I can't imagine that. They were arrested by police. Police would take them out, out over um, across the border into Tennessee and then let them go. But, you know, they were met with so much violence as they got into those southern states. Montgomery, they were met with more violence. You know, it was just nonstop for them. It got so bad that the Congress of Racial Equality um, you know, stop the freedom rides, you know, because because of the violence against the riders. But John Lewis and, you know, fellow activist Diane Nash arranged for the Nashville students to take it over and bring it to a successful conclusion. They were determined to see to make to make that ride from Washington to New Orleans. And um and which they did. And which they did. Um in the nineteen sixties, uh, nineteen sixty three, rather, a couple of years after those freedom rides uh, John Lewis was made the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And he was the chairman until 1966. And during his time, his tenure as the chairman, he opened Freedom Schools, launched the Mississippi Freedom Summer, and organized some of the voter registration efforts during the 1965 Summer Voting Rights Campaign. And um, he was very, uh, um, he was very bold in his and his, uh, you know, you know, denouncing the administration, the current the administration of those times for not doing enough to protect uh, African-Americans during that time, their rights to vote and things of that nature. And he wrote speeches about it. Of course, these speeches were changed and tempered so that they wouldn't um, offend the powers that be. But he was very bold in his in his criticisms of um you know the administrations and the civil rights bill and 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 what they meant he was very um critical of it because it didn't protect against african americans against police brutality or provide african americans with the rights to vote so you know when he wrote his speech initially he you know said that they were the sncc is against the kennedy civil rights bill but it was changed to say that we support it with great reservations but he was still brave enough to at least, you know, say what he wanted to say um, to the administra- Kennedy administration for not doing enough. Um, and as we mentioned before, he was one of the big six leaders at the March on Washington in 1963 as chairman of the SNCC. And at the age of 23 years old, he was the youngest speaker that day. And at the time of his death, he was the last last living speaker on that day. He... Um, he was one of the big six, um, along with Whitney Young, A. Philip Randolph, James Farmer, and Roy Wilkins. Um, but uh, he also um, uh, coordinated the SNCC's efforts for the Mississippi Freedom Summer, as we mentioned earlier. And that was a campaign to register black voters across the South and expose college students from around the country to the perils of African-American life in the South. He traveled the country encouraging students to spend the summer break trying to help people in Mississippi. As we mentioned, Mississippi was one of, it was the worst state in the South when it came to their treatment of, of African Americans. Um, he became nationally known during this time 
um, because in 1965, uh, the Selma to Montgomery marches um, were very well known throughout history. Uh, we all know about Bloody Sunday. And um, when, when John Lewis and many other fellow activists and over 600 marchers uh, marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, in which they were uh, beaten by Alabama state troopers. They uh, sprayed tear gas and, you know, were beaten demonstrators with, with nightsticks. John Lewis himself, his skull was fractured and he bore the scars of that day uh, on his head for the rest of his life. That was one of the things that were dramatizing the movie Selma. And um, I don't remember the actor who played John Lewis, but you got to see, you know, and, you know, dramatize what he went through during that day, March 7th, 1965. Now, throughout the years, he continued to work in different forms of activism. And in the late 60s, he took a job as an associate director of the Field Foundation, moving to New York. Um, he also took, became the director of the Voter Education Project from 1970 to 1977. And while he was there, he added, uh, he hit the organization rather, added nearly 4 million minority voters to the rolls, to their voting rolls under his leadership. Um, and that was despite, you know, uh, difficulties that were caused by a recession from 1973 to 1975 they were still able to get more minority voters um, uh, registered, and, um, and, and you, which was a, a success. Uh, he began to get involved in government work in the late 70s uh, when he uh, ran for uh, U.S. Congress for the 5th Congressional District in 1977. He lost, but he uh, began to work in different forms of of, of government, and in 1981, he won. He got. Um, he ran for the Atlanta City Council, in which he won, and he served on a council from 1981 to 1986 when uh, he ran again for the um, uh, fifth congressional district because the uh, person who had it, who had the seat, Fowler, who beat him back in 1977, ran for U.S. senator. Um, and so he uh, ran for uh, Congress against another brother named Julian Bond, who was who ran the NAACP. He also was part of S, uh, the SNCC as well, and um, they ran against each other. And Julian Bond had a lot of support in the black community in Atlanta, but John Lewis uh, pulled an upset against him, and he beat him. And um, from then on, he remained undefeated in that seat until the day he died. So he was reelected 16 times. He only dropped below 70% of the vote in the general election only once in 1994. Um, but he held that seat all that time. And, um, I, you know, I'm curious to see who would run for that seat, you know, now that he's gone. But... You know, he ran in that seat and he held that seat for over 30 years. And throughout his tenure, he um, was very vocal on many different things. The uh, Gulf War he voted against. He was vocal against, you know, um, you know, uh, President you know Bush when he won the election and John McCain's campaign against Barack Obama. It's so much about 
his tenure in Congress that, you know, can be looked at, you know, whether good or bad, you know, not saying he was a bad congressman, but, you know, people have their views of some of the remarks he made uh, during his tenure as a Congress, as a congressman. You know, me, I always like to reflect on his work in his uh, civil, in the civil rights movement because, you know, it helped to get us, you know, at least where we are today. And as we as we all know, we have so much more to go. We have so much farther to go. But uh, the work that him and C.T. Vivian did at least got us to where we are now. You know, because when they were, as mentioned, when they were coming up, it was so much worse. Segregation and having to ride in the back of the bus. But uh, John Lewis, his work, you know, speaks for itself. The life he led through nonviolence, and you know, he was well respected by many of his colleagues and his peers. And his legacy will forever live on. I know there'll be statues of Congressman John Lewis that will be erected. He was respected by 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 everyone. Um, and so we, you know, he passed July 17th as well, the same day as C.T. Vivian at the age of 80 from pancreatic cancer. And um, but. You know, as we as we said, his life, his legacy will live on in the work that he did. So, Congressman John Lewis, we thank you for your contribution to black history and black culture, and we salute you. So, um, that concludes this episode of Everyday Black History. It was, you know, uh, it was a sad, it was sad that we lost these two men who contributed so much to our history and our culture, but. At the same time, you know, they both live long lives and their their work, will, their legacies will live on. And um, as we continue to try and work for equality and, you know, and get there, the, the, these are men that will be looked up to and um, because of their work. And, you know, we want, we, we're going to definitely start to highlight, you know, uh, some of the women who contributed to civil rights as well, because there were many women, unspoken um, women who who contributed to civil rights and we're going to talk about them as well as we um, highlight you know uh, since we're talking about these two men it kind of makes me want to do a few episodes highlighting you know um, activism and civil rights in the civil rights movement especially during the time that we're living in so that concludes this episode of everyday black history um, enjoy the rest of your week we will be coming with another episode by the end of the week so just enjoy the rest of your week and stay safe stay healthy and stay tuned for the next episode.